Rafferty, where we move music education in new directions. Hey, and welcome back to Take Notes. I am so looking forward to giving you this episode where I got to talk with the incredible Teresa Hoover, who is a music educator, speaker, and writer. And she is our monthly teacher feature for the month of April. Teresa is an advocate for student voice in the music classroom and works to empower students throughout their musical experiences and help teachers transform their classrooms to become student-centered learning environments. We had a lot in common, and I so enjoyed speaking with her. She is also a Google for Education certified trainer and innovator, and she frequently works with teachers to help integrate technology into their music classrooms. And currently, she is a middle school band director in Arlington, Virginia. So welcome to Take Notes, Teresa. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm from Pennsylvania originally. Um, I got my bachelor's from Penn State in music education, taught in Pennsylvania for a while, got a master's in conducting from Westchester University. And then um, after 14 years in a variety of different settings, I moved down to Northern Virginia, right outside Washington, D.C. And I've been down here. This is my fifth year. Uh, currently, I'm a middle school band director, so I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade band in a guitar class, although pandemic time, it's a little it's, it's a little different these days, but but I'm sure we're all we're all used to that. Um, so in addition to all the music stuff, I really love technology. And I, that's kind of what when I moved down to um, Northern Virginia, I, I really started my toe into what I could do with tech in the music classroom. And that's when I started learning about just different ways to teach that, you know, the, it, the band room didn't have to look like the band room looked when I was in school. So um, through that, I am now a Google certified trainer and innovator. So I do a lot of work with, with Google tools. Um, I also am one of the teacher trainers for NoteFlight. I do a lot of work with Flipgrid, things like that, and, and taking that technology just and helping music teachers figure out how to put it in the hands of their kids. That's awesome. And, and so timely, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what exactly do you mean by a Google Innovator? So the Google Innovator is a program. Um, let's see, it's, it's a program that you apply for, and then you attend this academy. And once you've gone through all of the steps, you are an innovator. So essentially, when you apply for the Innovator program, you are trying to solve a large problem in music edu- or in education. Sorry, <laughs> and. I, as a music teacher, wanted to, you know, find a musical problem to solve. So you apply with this problem. They take 36 people from around the world for each cohort. And if you're accepted, you go to one of the Google offices and spend a couple days there working with your cohort on trying to solve that problem. (laughs) And you're supported by people who work for Google and Google for Education in in making all of that happen. Um, That's super cool probably the coolest professional experience of my life. (laughs) I can only imagine. So what was the problem that you were trying to solve? So this was two years ago that I was applying. So like put yourself in the context of where we were two years ago. Um, And what I did was I actually talked to all my music teacher friends and I asked them, I'm like, what's the biggest problem you see in education? You know, and at the time it was a lot of like, not enough money, not enough time, not enough, um, not enough resources, not enough support, like all those kinds of things. But what I really noticed when I asked all those teachers what the problem was, that you could just see it in their faces. You could see them kind of sink down like, oh, let me, where do I begin? And they just had that exhausted, defeated look to themselves. So the problem that I attempted to solve had to do with music teacher well-being. 
and how we could help support music educators um, in just taking better care of themselves and not taking on all of the weight and all of the problems and all of the things that we felt needed to be fixed, but yet making sure that we took care of ourselves and you know prioritized our own well-being so that we could then help our, our students. Um, so after you go through this Innovator Academy, you then work for a year on your project. Um, and you're paired up with a mentor, you still have a team to work with, things like that. So within my project, I created a website and Facebook group resource called Tacit for Teachers. And it's just about resources for music teacher well-being. So it's kind of taken a back seat these days because I needed to prioritize my own well-being. <laughs> I needed to make sure that I was, you know, practicing what I preached. Um, but the resources are still out there and just the the ideas are all still there the community is still there and and they're available for anyone who wants access so that's fascinating so the the end result then of that year project were those mm -hmm. those community groups so what kind of things mm -hmm. did you learn as you were going through this journey trying to solve this problem um the biggest thing is just that you know, I, I knew that I wasn't alone and my friends, it was really a very large, it was a large problem that a lot of music teachers were feeling. And a lot of it just came from, we needed to figure out what we could control in our lives and what we could control in our teaching situations and put the energy and the focus there. Um, you can't control your school board. You can't really control your administration. The parent, you can't control a lot of that, but if you could think about what you could control and how you could make that something manageable, and, and make that something dealable, then you, you were better, <laughs> you had a better chance of success as far as taking care of yourself. Um, and also just th that you have to make self-care a priority. And I think that's something that in the last year, we've all really learned through this pandemic as well, is that we have to take care of ourselves. We have to look out for our own well-being. Um, and some of it's just the simple eating well, you know, keeping hydrating, exercising, sleeping, um, and, and also not being afraid to leave work at work or at least closing the work computer and walking away from it to the other side of the house when you're working, you know, when you're working remotely, but making sure that we, we celebrate that and that we prioritize that, you know, think about that, all the memes you see when it's like, ha look, one car left in the parking lot. Guess who it is? It's like, no, we shouldn't celebrate the fact that the band director always has the last car in the parking lot. Celebrate the fact that you, you left work on time and and visited with your family and spent time with your kids and did the things that were important to you. So why do you think that is? I mean, that's something that, do you think that that's something that is more of a, uh, a personality trait for people who ha happen to go into music? Or do you think that there's just this expectation of music teachers in general that people then fall into? I think it's both. Um, I think part of it is, we all had these amazing musical experiences and, and we go into it wanting to replicate that. So we, we have, you know, we're the type of people who we want that we want, and we want that for our students. Um, and I think the other part of it though, is just a lack of maybe understanding from those who are sometimes putting the requirements on us. <laughs> like, why can't you do one more performance? Why, why not have three extra rehearsals? Um, you know, and we're constantly wanting to please them, constantly wanting to advocate for our jobs, right? To say that, that what we do is worthy and we want to put our students out in front. But yet by doing that, I think we just, we burn ourselves out. 
So what do you, or what have you found through this process are really great concrete ways for teachers to advocate for themselves and their needs and set boundaries, right? Because setting boundaries is hard. No matter what situation, setting a boundary is a difficult thing that needs to be practiced, especially if you're a younger teacher, right? Um, mm-hmm. So so are there specific strategies that that you've come across that are kind of tried and true that someone can take away from you know, immediately after listening to this. Teachers who have a support system in making those decisions are the ones who are going to be more successful. And I think that's where the world we're in right now with social media can really help. If you can find the like-minded teachers who are going to support you and saying, yeah, go home or no, you don't have to, you know, take on an extra gig next week. That's you're going to have an hour to prep for, or, you know, things like that. Somebody who can just be that sounding board to say, don't, don't do it. You don't have to do it. And and it's okay. So I think finding those people and keeping those people close to you is going to really help. Just remembering the fact that what you're doing is fine. You're what's the phrase you are enough, right? Oh, yeah. And just remembering that all the time. So I want to just shift gears for a little bit now and tell me what does innovation in music education mean to you? And why is it relevant, especially now? Yes, I think about innovation as something that's going to be new and better or something that's making positive change in, in what we do. Um, and I would never say that, you know, music education is is broken or wrong or needs to be fixed. Like that's not the, the mentality that I would take, but I think it's just more that there's more we can do. We can continue to grow in our craft and we can continue to kind of evolve as music educators. Um, so when I look at innovation, it's it's how can we kind of push those things forward to to keep up with everything that's going on around us. So over the past year, what are some of the really cool, innovative things that you've seen, either that you've done or that you've seen or heard of through your conversations with other music teachers? A lot of the things we've done in a way have been innovative. Just the idea of getting kids on Zoom and saying, hey, we're going to do music this way. You, We, we wouldn't have really thought about that before. Um, but I, for me, like some of the things that I've loved to see are where the kids have really had the opportunity to do the music making and that they've had those options. They've had the choices. They've had the creativity time where maybe before it wasn't that way. Maybe before it was always the teacher saying, this is what you're going to do, or this is how you're going to do it. But now we've had to find ways to really let the kids take, take that ownership. And that's, and that's what I've been passionate about for years anyways, is, is giving them that ownership. And I think some of the teachers who've been really successful through this pandemic and all of these changes have been able to do that. Sure. I totally agree. And that's a really nice segue to your book because that's really what the book is about, right? It's it's about yes, passing exactly. the on and giving the mm-hmm. um, ownership of the music learning to the kids instead of just right delivering information teachers facilitator to kind of have this back and forth of knowledge information and um this right. fluid relationship with students content it's it's all kind of works together so um you know something that really struck out it you know you have a very clear distinction between engagement and empowerment so can you talk maybe a little bit about that and how, what that looks like as a student and then what does that look like as a teacher yeah. So engagement, first of all, engagement's not bad. I mean, I remember like right out of college when we had to have like a mission statement on our resume and engagement was like the word you wanted. <laughs> you wanted to say that, that all the kids were engaged in music, meaning they're, they're doing music, right? They're playing instruments, they're singing, they're composing, they're doing 
the actual music making. And that's, that's good. Like we want that. We don't want the kids just sitting there passively watching someone else make music the whole time. Um, but when you take it to impact, you're taking it up a level. So with engagement, a lot of times it would be the teacher says, do this. The kid does it. You know, the teachers say, sing these songs. The students sing those songs, um, compose this melody. They compose that melody. They do things very very scripted and it's, it's exactly how the teacher has indicated. Again, that's good. <laughs> we want kids who are doing what we say, but when we empower them, the students get to start making those choices. You know, the students have some say in what music they're performing, what music they're listening to. They have a say in how they're going to go about creating something. They can find things that relate to them personally so that it's more meaningful to them. So when we when we're empowering them, they're taking ownership of that music making process. And I think that's where the magic can really happen. And that's where, when I think about, you know, how I'm innovating and how I'm moving forward, that's where I look. What decisions am I making? And what, how many of those decisions could the kids make instead? Yes. And what I found the most challenging thing to be about that situation is that teacher comfort level and teacher identity. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's really uncomfortable at first. <laughs> and it's a little bit chaotic at first, but you have to embrace that. You have to, you know, step back from the chaos and look around your room and realize while somebody who's walking by might see seven saxophone players doing completely different things, recognize, well, that one's working on a song to play for mom for her birthday. And that one over there is working on, you know, another piece that he found from uh, something that was you know important to him, but they're all working on things that, that are meaningful to them. So you have to embrace that chaos, but it is uncomfortable. <laughs> sure. It is really uncomfortable. And I know just, you know, from my experience, I, I started doing that as I was building my modern band program. That was, you know, mm -hmm. very much that, that model. And, um, you know, my colleague who we share a space with, he was such a good friend to me and just let me vent before and after every class, you know, it was before, like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is ridiculous. And afterwards, like, I don't even think that was a thing. I don't even know what was going on. I think they learned something. I don't know. But, but it's, it's messy at first. It's super uncomfortable, but it continues mm -hmm. to get better. And that's really what the kids need to, to learn right. the way. So um, how do you see, I mean, in your own words, how, how do you see that as connecting to then student identity with their own musicality and that lifelong, lifelong learning piece? Well, because that's what it does. You know, these kids who are, are taking their music making and they're making it important to them, it doesn't stop when they walk out of your classroom. It continues with them because it, and it becomes part of their identity. So when you have kids that come running into your classroom and tell you about something they worked on at home related to your class that you didn't tell them to do, like, that's so powerful. And that's when you're like, oh, all that chaos, there was purpose behind it because the kids are wanting to make music a part of them. You know, so we think about lifelong musicians. Yeah, we want students who they don't just see themselves as kids who attend a music class. They can see themselves as musical. That's how they would identify themselves. 
And I'm interested to know about your experience specifically with teaching middle school and how you've seen this musicality become a part of their identities. Because as we know, these adolescent years are critical in forming their identities that have these lifelong implications. And the middle school years are often seen as the best last chance to have some sort of influence on who they're going to be as they are growing up. So what have you noticed doing this type of method in your class? classroom and how it relates to student musical identity. They they want to be musicians outside of the classroom. They send me videos of things that they've learned. They send me, hey, can we play this song? They work on projects that they don't have to work on outside of class. So I think they are starting to see themselves that way. Like one of my goals this year, knowing it was going to be a very, very different year was just how much creating can I have the kids do? You know, and at the beginning of the year, I asked them, you know, just in like a getting to know you kind of thing, like, do you feel that you're creative? And a lot of them said no. <laughs> like a lot of them didn't feel that they were, but we've done a bunch of projects and and as we've been doing them, you know, things where the kids have lots of choice and lots of say in what they're doing, you can see that that self-efficacy is going up, that they're starting to see themselves as creative. Today was well, this week's like the end of our quarter and I had them do another little reflection and I asked them, you know, what'd you think of this last project we did? Oh, it was really fun. I loved, I loved the creativity and imagination and I loved working with my friends. Like, that's what we want. I want, you know, kids who are really enjoying making music, whatever it may look like. When you, when we think about when we're giving kids assignments or projects to do, I'm trying to remember how the exact phrase goes, but if you get back, you know, 30 of the same exact thing, you gave the kids a recipe. <laughs> And you don't want to give them a recipe. You want to just give them some ideas. So I try to, for the, any project that we do, say, okay, it needs to have, and I give them a couple elements that it has to have, but no specifics as far as, you know, maybe I'll tell them it should be at least a minute long or it, if, they're, if they're doing a composition or I'll say, you know, it needs to include at least these pitches or something like that. But yet there's not a, you must include, you know, just this and nothing else. Like, leave it open, let them, let them explore, let them figure out what they want to do. And they really will surprise you if you let them. But at the same time, I found we can't just say, go make something, go compose something, go, you have, you do have to give them some kind of parameters to work within, and then they can find the creativity. Right. Cause there is fluidity within structure. You know, I, I yes. often, um, when I think about structure like that, I think of the, the woodworking of a house, right? So, you know, it's, it's this open house. It's just the wood framing, the structure's there, but you can easily move in from space to space, um, yes. where you, if you don't have that structure there, there isn't even the house to, to go through. There's nothing. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm curious to know, since, you know, you've been doing this for a while, the kids know to expect this from you at the beginning, was there any sort of resistance to it? Um, yeah. And while I've been doing it a while, it's at the same time, like I opened a brand new school last year. So last year I had brand new students <laughs> who the first day that I, I did something a bit creative, they were like, who is this woman and what is she doing? <laughs> Does she not know how to teach band? <laughs> Cause these are like the eighth graders who, you know, they knew, they knew everything. Um, so yeah. And then, but that also was the quick reminder to me. Oh yeah. You have to prep them for this. You can't just say, go into small groups and, and make this happen. You, you have to prepare them for it. You have to take those small steps. Um, you know, we kind of talk about it as like letting go of the reins a little bit at a time, especially for kids who are used to always being told what to do and how to do it. 
give them little freedoms, um, do it in safe ways. So maybe if you were an ensemble teacher and you were trying to insert a little bit of creativity, you would, you would tell all the kids, okay, everybody brainstorm an idea for this, put it on a sticky note, share it with me. That's very safe as opposed to saying, you know, you second clarinet player, tell me how you think this should sound. That's terrifying when you're a kid. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know how to answer it, but you have the conversations as a group. You, you work them up to it. You know, there's someone who's listening right now who says, well, I, I would love to do those little incremental steps, like the sticky note exercise. Is there mm-hmm. another concrete idea that you can suggest that someone could do to get kind of get off the podium and give the pass the baton, if you will? <laughs> I mean, if you're thinking about as far like, you know, giving kids choices and things like that, you can always just start with giving them two options. Hey, would you like to do this or this and have them do a quick vote? And you could do the vote whether you're a thumbs up, thumbs down, or you could use a tech thing. Um, so I would start like in that kind of respect, just giving them a couple choices. And then maybe from there you move on to um, like there's a certain standard you're you're looking to to work towards. You can do it this way. You can do it this way or if you have another way in mind that would also show me you understand that standard, that's okay as well. So you're giving two concrete options, but then you're also leaving the door open if they have a better suggestion. Um, when I was teaching beginning band, we did a lot um, where the kids would have to like demonstrate mastery of certain skills. And I would say, you know, maybe the skill was, I don't know, uh, demonstrating that you could play songs that used the first five notes of a concert B flat scale, something like that. And I would give them two or three choices of songs that they could use, or they could pick something else <laughs> if they had another song that they that they thought would fit that. Um, and a lot of kids went with one of the options I gave, but then there was always the one, a couple others who didn't. They either needed more of a challenge, they had another interest, or they just, I don't know, they just didn't want to listen to me. But it didn't matter because all I cared about was the fact that they were learning that skill. So that's another easy way to just kind of dip your toe in. Yeah, um, and that's great. I think, you know, again, there's such a parallel, right? Where we're asking teachers to let go and be creative in their teaching. But mm-hmm. I think they also need the structure and the baby steps and the the permission to let go of their own reins a little bit at a time. So these, these incremental baby steps are, are certainly parallel to what we're asking the students to do. Um, so even those, those small little chunks, I think are enough to get teachers looking at, okay, well, if I maybe just do this, maybe if I just do this and it's right. safe, right? Because exactly. safety, safety is the big, the big thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, as teachers, I mean, we, we also have responsibilities, you know, we have standards to meet, we have performances, we do, we have responsibilities to our jobs to, to do them well. So, right. If we start off with things that are safe and, and we realize that we can do it, then we can start taking bigger steps and bigger chances. And before long, you know, you'll do something crazy, like start a project and have no idea where it's going to go and be okay with it. So in going back to your book, Pass the Baton, which you co-authored with Catherine Finch, who's going to be a guest on my podcast, hopefully in a couple of weeks, what would you say is the big takeaway for teachers? So, okay. So the book is Pass the Baton, Empowering All Music Students. I mean, I think the subtitle says it all. It's, it's giving that ownership, empowering all of our music students, you know, not just the the overachieving or not just the, the, you know, the high flyers, but all of them. Um, and I think what we really wanted teachers to be able to understand was that the kids need to be part of the creative process. The kids should be 
making those decisions. And if the teacher is the only one who gets to make any musical decisions and gets gets to have that ownership, then find those small ways that you can pass the baton to your students and let them take part. It's also, the kids don't need to make every decision. We are still the experts in the room. <laughs> we are still, you know, every fantastic orchestra still has a conductor and, you know, same with the choirs. There is still purpose in that, but I guess the point that I'm always trying to make is that we don't have to always be the only, making the decisions. You know, we can allow for those opportunities because yes, we do want to teach the kids, you know, what standard repertoire should sound like, or we do want to teach them the skills necessary to being musicians, but there just has to be the room for them to take some of that ownership. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, I always ask this at the end of uh, every every interview, you know, what what are your dreams for music education? Big dream. <sighs> oh, oh, my goodness. There's so many. <laughs> I think a lot of it kind of goes back to that same message of empowerment, but trying to not limit ourselves to the idea of band orchestra chorus, which it sounds like with your popular music program, you are right on, right on board with that as well. Um, that there is more to music than just those three thinking about the idea that your rating at contest doesn't, you know, isn't your rating in life. It's there's so much more to what we do. Feedback is important. Um, striving for, you know, striving for excellence is important. All of those things are good, but that doesn't have to be the only thing we do. Um, and I guess the the final thing is just how we can really help kids see themselves as musicians beyond our classrooms. So I think if we can find a way to incorporate all of that into one magical music, you know, music curriculum, <laughs> then that would be awesome. If you want to learn more about Teresa Hoover and her work, go ahead first check out her YouTube channel with Katherine Finch at Pass the Baton, where she highlights music teachers who are doing just that, passing the baton to their students and empowering them to become musical individuals. You can also reach her at Twitter and Clubhouse and Facebook and Instagram at Musical Teresa, and her website is musicalteresa.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend. Also, if you know a teacher who would be a great candidate for the monthly teacher feature on Take Notes, please send me an email at music at jenrafferty.com. Until next time, I'm Jen Rafferty. Have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Jen Rafferty Music, cover art by Good Neighbor Art with Molly and Draco, and music by John Keepner.